Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insight. I had some private equity guys contact me about their interest in the industry and to preserve their anonymity. I'm just giving my responses. They did not pay me and I did not ask for payment, but I just wanted to talk about the industry and I found myself pontificating a little bit and this is what came out of it. So thank you, sponsors, Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks. And here's one side of a conversation. If somebody said, here's $100 million, jump in there. What are you going to do with it? I don't think it's obvious what to do if you had $100 million to wisely invest in this category. You could buy stuff, but that's probably not the way to go. Would you create a company? Would you acquire? Would you roll up some companies and which ones? Would you try to become vertically integrated? I think it's not a no-brainer to spend big bucks. Now, what's been happening is people are buying P the PSAs of the world and investing in CSG and, and some of these entities. But I think some of those are arguably overvalued. The only way those bets pay off is if we continue to have pretty consistent, strong growth. It's like being in an auction. Do you want to bid on the auction items that everybody else is bidding on? Or do you want to find somebody nobody's bid on that's undiscovered? If you're doing that, even whether it's a hundred million or ten million or a billion, I think it's pretty frothy. My old company, I don't think it's an act that they say they're not for sale. I can't believe they wouldn't be for sale, but they keep saying it. And maybe I'll be wrong, but the time to sell is when everybody wants to buy. Some of these valuations are at legendary levels, but that's not for some of these parts of the industry that you guys are talking about rolling up people, bringing them into the big time. But again, that's one here, two there, three there. It's not the uh, Wall Street Journal headline. And your strategy, if you're not stealth about it, it could be reverse engineered or somebody else could be doing it. But I think there's some stores out there with the right kind of structure would be really excited about having more oomph to their business, uh, still having some level of control, but having some oversight that's helpful. But it's tricky. What I'm talking about is pretty relational intensive, more so than capital intensive. You mentioned partners or people. That's really helpful. If you've got people that can come in and open doors, otherwise it's not an industry that is welcome to outsiders unless they have huge wallets. <laughs> then they're very welcome. I think the uh, fractional space is here to stay. I don't think it is saturated, but I think they're looking at each other and they're looking at the buzz they're able to generate. I, I think there's some different ways to approach that business, a little bit more of an appeal to the everyman without going too far down market. But I think there's some creative things that could be done there that people could really enjoy. Fractional ownership could involve traveling exhibits. Again, fully insured, but a dynamic element to it. It could involve card stores if they're part of your umbrella, they'd have some additional privileges. If, if they found a collection, they would be compensated. If something came up, they would get some benefit from somebody walking into their card store with a collection that's an expensive collection. They can't quite afford it. But you're able to come in, fund it, cherry pick the very best stuff for the fraction. So it's the Pawn Stars on steroids. You've got a card shop in every town that you're affiliated with. Somebody walks in there, you're digitally filming it, and you're a one-stop shop. I'm, I'm convinced that fractional, there are further simplifications and automations of that process. It sounds to me like there's a lot of discussion and positioning, and it's too sticky. Okay, It needs to be more fluid. What they're doing is they're buying assets 
that are glamour, but they're not getting a good deal on them. In fact, they're bragging about getting a bad deal. Look how much we paid. Now, do you want to be part of covering how I overpaid? I think if a new entity came in, and again, they'll probably copy that, we're going to help these card shops get the benefit of the fractional experience on the front end and the back end, that we're a fractional collaborative, that you benefit for being under our umbrella. We're going to be a bulk purchasing organization, employee leasing, there's health insurance. It's stuff that we talked about 30 or 40 years ago in the industry that could never happen because I would say it's too many Indians and not enough chiefs, but it's probably all chiefs and no Indians. Everybody wants to be the boss of their own thing. But if somebody came in and said, look, it's not going to be very invasive what we're going to do, but if you're part of our group, you're going to have buying power. You're going to get these other things. There's some vertical integration of what you're going to get. We're going to certify that you're a, a bona fide store, and we're going to go to bat for you with Panini and Tops and Upper Deck and Leaf and Fanatics. We're going to have more clout than you will. And you're going to get first dibs if some of these uh, fractional things pop up or if you source one. And there's already variations of that. You're going to be a bulk submission center to the various grading companies. Or you could start your own or whatever. I just think fresh thinking is what I'm in favor of. And I would say the same thing to Collectible or Rally or Alt or any of them. It's all about the execution after you figure out what your business plan is. They've all decided to make headlines. It's a hobby, but it's a hobby that can be lucrative. And if you get going in the right direction where the people are going, it can't be just about picking the hottest player. There's a whole macro movement toward this is fun, this is profitable, this is a growing thing. Let's say you have a lot of followers or contacts or whatever. In the post-COVID world, being able to deal with those people hands-free, not the kind of sticky where they're calling you and asking you a bunch of questions. Right. It's got to be so dumbed down and mobile-enabled that you have no variable cost in your service. It's all setting it up and keeping the machine oiled and making it obvious. I'm retired. I don't want to build another company. I just want to help my friends and help build the industry. I want to be the guy that's encouraging people. The good old days were great, but the future could be even greater. I do have some great cards, but I'm, I'm a long tail guy. I think it, the hobby just can't be about the cream of the crop. It's got to be about a broader base of acceptance. It's fun to have a collection, not just a grail card. And if they're not graded, that's okay too. But grading is authenticating and securing and protecting and probably increasing the value too. I'm having fun. Probably the greatest side gig of all time. Some of the things you're contemplating allowed people to have a robust 20-hour week involvement in the industry. So maybe they can't have a store or maybe there's some kind of a co-op, but it's not owners. They don't have to quit their day job. And for 20 hours a week, they are just killing it having a great time working with people they enjoy working, and they're tempted to quit their day job and do this 50 or 60 hours a week. If you had something that for 20 hours a week, they have maximum fun and very profitable based on what they're putting in and keeping their benefits in their day job. So it wouldn't be like a part-time store, but people are already doing that with their eBay business or going right. to card shows. But if you were to formalize that or bring some tools to those people and use some of your investor types to underwrite some of that, securitize by the stuff. These guys could not go to a bank and get a loan. But if you walked in there and said, and PWCC has figured that out, <laughs> send us your stuff for the vault and your credit is good with us. Bid away. If you don't pay up, we, we have your stuff. But that's true of almost every card shop now. They have collateral, which a bank would sneer at. Mm -hmm. I think the main thing is not the idea, it's the execution.
And it's not even about the money. There are people that have the money. There are other people that have contacted me that have huge war chests, but they don't know what to do. They know how to come in and buy a company or to buy two companies and put them together. But a more organic roll-up is not simple. But if it's done strategically, that could be really good. Yeah. I think with fanatics, people are nervous. And they're thinking, you know, how do I protect myself? There's probably some strength in numbers that the card shops and the breakers, you might study the loop model. They're trying to bring breakers into their fold with a technology platform that reduces the friction and the pain points of the players in that market. They just got more money. I'm not seeing that idea as being as big as what they're saying. Maybe I'm underestimating. Breaking is a part of it. You don't get to 10 billion by unopened boxes. Frankly, somebody has to buy the cards other than LeBron James, RPA, Luca, Zion, Patrick Mahomes, uh, uh, six-figure, seven-figure cards. There's 99.99% of the cards are not that expensive. And they, they have to have some value, and there are passionate collectors that would be excited about that. You can't really fractionalize them. It just breaks down in this industry when you have so many SKUs. That's why card shops are difficult. If they're just selling unopened product, it's a box. Once you open the box, there's 10,000 different things that could be in that box. If you're going to barcode them, good luck. I think the strengths are obvious. But what the only thing, they're not interested in talking to you unless you're going to do something that they don't want to do. And what they they want to do is something that's middle market. They, they, I don't even think they want to tarnish their high-end reputation. They want to handle the best of the best. If you brought them a mundane idea, they might be interested in it, but they might want to distance themselves to it. So that's their strength and their weakness. They can't be all things to all people. and They don't even want to be. So they're leaving out a good portion of the market. That, to me, the way you guys have come at this, sounds like that's your opening. Look at what the SPACs are going after and don't. I didn't think Tops was a great deal when the Mudrick guys were going after that. And now it's egg on somebody's face. You guys may be different. I'm a bootstrapper and I just, I like to fix things. I like to start things. But a lot of these private equity guys just want to buy something that's a cash cow and milk it. And to me, that's not as much fun. It's fun to make a lot of money, but I think there's some real opportunity for undiscovered, undervalued. When this rising tide keeps getting up, there's a ripple effect in the middle and at the bottom that they work their way up too, but it's not instantaneous. The market is not that efficient. It's not a secret that when all this money came into PSA and now CSG, SGC, all of them have had some infusions. I don't think my old company has, but then instead of doing that, there's been a whole bunch of new companies that have popped up. Because if that's what they go for, I've got a friend that started a gin company, a vodka company, a couple of friends that have done that. And you just lose as much money as you can, getting as much shelf space as you can. And then somebody takes you out at 10 times your sales, not your profits. You don't have any profits. And that could be the model for some of these grading companies. You start a grading company, you grade a lot of cards, you don't make necessarily money at first, but you build up enough to where some stupid money is going to buy you out. That's something it's already been done. But yeah. that's not saturated either. But yeah. don't, don't compete with PSA. <laughs> uh, they, they have their niche. Yeah. yeah. There are some companies in the industry that if they had a different capital structure and uh, maybe more R&D in some cases and more marketing in some cases, I don't think they're for sale or looking to recapitalize. But ComC comes to mind. If somebody came in and said, look, we're not going to do anything to you except that we want to invest in your company and we want to pour all of our dollars into marketing. 
because we think you're undermarketed. You're plowing your profits back. You keep doing that, but we're going to have some kind of a relationship where we benefit from helping build your company because there's no problem with your engine. Just keep your engine well-oiled, but we want to quadruple the number of customers that you have. And we think we can do that, and, and whether there's an equity kicker or some kind of a thing. but So something like that. But they're just doing business as usual and doing fine. My old company under the new ownership was like that. They're doing fine. They're making money. But if somebody came in and said, hey, you could go twice as fast, and we're going to underwrite this. We're going to make it happen. We're going to bring our relationships and our funding into this. Just let us do our stuff. I started my business, and I, I didn't want somebody looking over my shoulder, so I, I went slow. I think PSA, even when it was public, they were stealth. And now with their new ownership, they're not stealth at all. Fanatics is not stealth. They're the gorilla, the king of the jungle. But there's some others that are still being stealth. They say they're not for sale, but they may be a little nervous as things get going. And some of these card shops, same thing. If there's a war, you've got to pick a side. And there's more than one grading. There's more than one auction alternative. There's more than one fractional alternative. I can't predict the future. I could talk about the past. Rob Veris, Burbank Sports Cards, close friend for a long time. He's got 43 million cards, and he could put his hands on him. Plus, he has a system, okay? If somebody bought him out, it wouldn't be to make his operation more efficient. It'd be to replicate what he does. The problem is you have to start with him and his son, and it's hard to replicate a person. It's easier to re- reproduce a process. process. Amazing to have something like that on the East Coast. They have something like that in the Midwest, but he's not going to do it because that's not the way he's wired. But he's also not going to sell you his company. But there may be some relationship. None of these guys got MBAs. They're not working off a case method. This is what you do in this situation. They're winging it. Even if they did have MBAs, we're on uncharted territory. And some of them don't lack for money anymore. They've got more money than they ever had. And so you can't impress them with money. Everybody, though, has a pain point. Everybody has some limit to growth or something that just keeps them up late at night. You tap into that, you got a good chance. There's not a lot of pain right now, other than the pain of thinking this might not last forever. (laughs) I don't think it's a zero-sum game. Maybe your success, I've had success, and I want the hobby to be successful. And I hope the bad guys lose and the good guys win. So if you guys are good guys and have the right kind of backing and some good ideas, ability to execute, go for it.